All right. Is everybody doing good this morning? Got a couple doing good? That's good. 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 All right. Well, welcome, guys. I've already welcomed you one time. Let's do two welcomes. Welcome, guys, this morning to Connection Church, where we are five campuses. In one, we're one church with five campuses. We meet at five different locations, and we're all centered around the mission of connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. The key word in there is growing. Growing relationship with Jesus. And what I, what I love about this is that we, we, have, we have talks every day from this, every Sunday from this stage about, and they're, and they're real. We're very real in this place about what we're going through as humans, as, as, as people. And uh, this is our second week in a series called Broken. Uh, what it means to be broken. How God uses broken people to carry out his purposes and what that looks like. Um, last week we talked about um, Jacob. Was anybody here last week? Um, Eric Smith preached for us, did a great job. Um, on Jacob, and he talked about um, how you know Jacob was a deceiver. You can look, you can look this up in Genesis verses, uh, chapters twenty-five to thirty-six. It's a long, it's a long story. Jacob, father of Israel, he deceived his father. He stole his brother Esau's blessing and his birthright over a pot of stew. Stupid. Listen, wrestles with God, asks for a blessing, leaves with a limp and a new name. Um, he works for fourteen years to get his two wives. He was deceived, ironically, to get his first wife, and he had another one after working seven more years. Finally, he fearfully faces his brother Esau, who he had deceived, and he receives grace, much like we do whenever we come to Jesus. He received grace in the face of need. He, he deserved wrath. He deserved to be punished, but he received grace. And one thing I always say, guys, that I love about church is that this room right here is full of people who are different in stages in life, in circumstances, um, there's people all across this room who are in different areas, different things, different places, man. Like, there's people here today who are going through financial hardships. There are people here today who are financially blessed. There are people here today that are going through heartache. There are people here today who are fired up about life and where God's taken them. There's people from every perspective of life today. And this is great, guys, because you know what? Even in our brokenness, this is great because all throughout Scripture, we see God using broken people to carry out his plans and his purposes. Everywhere. From Adam to Eve to Noah to Abraham to Elijah to Jonah to Paul, everyone in Scripture that God used was jacked up big time. So is anybody not jacked up here this morning? In any way, we all are. So this tells me one thing. No matter how much sparkle and shine you see on somebody's life, no matter how much, how pretty people's masks they wear are, no matter how much you are jealous of this person's lifestyle. Every single person you come in contact with is broken, needing a Savior to redeem or to restore or to heal or to, to revive their life. Can we, can we agree with that around the room? Like, we all need a Savior to redeem us, to revive us. Because without Jesus' work on the cross that we talked about two weeks ago, none of this would, none of this would matter. Jesus couldn't, we couldn't do it. None of this, none of this wouldn't matter what we're doing. Nothing can, we could not be revived without Jesus Christ down on the cross and raising from the dead. We couldn't be raised to life without Jesus raising to life. And that's awesome, right? That's the hope we have. Everything we're currently looking for, guys, to fulfill us, can it be found in his presence? Everything you're looking for to fulfill your heart can be found in the presence of Jesus, period. If you disagree, I would love to have that conversation with you. Because I promise you, I've experienced it. But here's the good news on top of that is that God has a habit of using people who've been passed over, who've been hurt, who've been done wrong, who have done wrong, 
who are fallen, who are sinful, and in the middle of their brokenness, carry out his plans. Whenever nothing, well, nothing seemed right about that, they, they, God carried out his plans to those people. And that's what we're talking about today in this series in Broken, is how God uses messed up, screwed up, broken individuals to carry out his plans. We good with that? That's, a, that's an encouraging message this morning for me because I need it. And I never want you to come in here without, excuse me, I never want you to come in this, this service each week. I never want you to leave without being challenged. Without you saying, you know, Michael, where are you at? Or whatever your name is. Put your, put your name in that place. Where are you at? Where are you at with the Lord? Where, are, where is your walk with the Lord? Because I'm telling you, the decision to follow Christ, to be a Christian, to live for, to live for him, is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. It's the most important thing in your life, to walk that out. So you need to ask yourself, where am I at? Where are you at, God? Where am I at with you? If you ask God that question, God, where, show me where I am and show me where I need to be, buckle up because he will, he'll show you every time. And if sometimes it's uncomfortable. We have to be malleable to be able to move to where he's going because one thing I know is that the Christian faith is not, is not passive. There's nothing about following Jesus that's passive. It's very active. It's a very active lifestyle. You look at the lifestyle of the disciples. You look at the book of Acts. It's active. Day by day, them looking to Jesus saying, where to? He tells them, they go. They read in Scripture. Read in Scripture. It says, go and make disciples. Okay, this says, go make disciples. Okay, I'll go make disciples. And they go make disciples. It's about following Jesus word for word, taking him at his word and doing what he says. We need to be asking ourselves, look, you know, am, am I compromising in any areas of my life right now? Am I compromising what it says about me in this scripture in any area in my life? Ask yourself that. What am I compromising in? Am I coasting? Am I just getting by with my faith? I may be a successful businessman or a successful mother or father. I may be a successful nurse or a, a doctor. But am I, am I just skating by in my spiritual life? Is that, are you tracking with that? Because let me tell you, that's what's going to matter in 80 or 90 years. And I say this all the time, and, and whenever you're 90 or 100 or what, however long you live, there's never going to be a time where you say, you know what, I probably shouldn't have prayed so much. Probably shouldn't have spent so much time in the Word. That was a waste of time. That won't happen. You'll find time, you'll say, I probably should have read the Bible more. I probably should have spent more time at church or serving or loving on my, my wife or my husband or should have made disciples. But I don't want us to be that way. We cannot afford to call ourselves Christians and be saved but live lost. Do you know what I mean? For too long, the church has looked like the world. We, 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 can, we can blend in really well, but we need, guys, we need to be on the move, saying no to apathy and to laziness and charging the gates of hell with a super soaker or a water gun or something and fighting for the kingdom, man, like getting fired up for what God's doing. Until Christ comes back. If you have your Bible, I want you to get it, grab onto it, hold on to it. Because, listen, I hope you have your Bible. Go ahead and get, like, get them, grab them, hold on to them, and look at them. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 through chapter 4. We're not going to read all four chapters, so calm down. It's good. But we are going to read a few verses from each chapter um, to kind of get, us, get, a, get, kind of get the background of the story we're going to be talking about. If you don't have a Bible, you know what? We'd love to give you one for free free Bible. Um, if you just go by the next steps table on the way out of here and say, hey, that guy in there said he'd give me a Bible. They'll give you one, I promise. 
So we only have three, so you got to be quick. <laughs> we'll have more next week if they're gone. So as we prepare, guys, let's prepare to open up these scriptures. Let's open up the Bible. Let's, let's look at it. Let's, let's hold it in our hands with reverence and awe because let's remember the words on this page we're about to read are holy. These words are holy, and we shouldn't be taking them lightly. They're divinely inspired and recorded to teach us, to train us to, on how we should follow Christ. And anytime we open this book, there's an opportunity, guys, that we can have our lives changed forever. Y'all believe that? So let's remember that, okay? It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is what? It's useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I read that, some words jump off the page in my pride of rebuking, correcting. That means I read this and I say, my life doesn't really look like this. Well, that means I need to change my life. I need to understand that if I don't agree with this, that something about me is off, not something about this. Okay? We need to understand that. So let's pray together. We're going to jump into Exodus 2. Um, we're going to talk about Moses this morning. This will get intense. It'll be awesome. Here we go. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the people in this room. God, speak through your words. Speak through this message. Speak to, um, to your people. God, I pray that there's somebody in here today that is far from you or do not know you. God, I pray that you would break their heart and bring them close to you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would draw us close, that you would just speak life into our hearts, that you would just raise us up and send us out into our communities, Father, to change the world, to build the kingdom, Father, and to be holy and righteous disciples of you, Father. We love you so much, and we just give this time to you. In your name I pray, amen. All right, here we go. I didn't preach last week, so I, I had to do two sermons in one week, so y'all hope y'all packed a lunch. I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a Baptist joke. I'm sorry. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 14. We're going to read that together, and then we're going to go over to Exodus 3. It says this, Now man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Let me give you some background. Pharaoh had, there's a new Pharaoh in town, and he realized the, Egypt, or the Israelites were getting very numerous. And he was like, I need to take back control because they're going to take over Egypt if I don't. And so he sent out a little evil edict that said every firstborn, every, every newborn baby, if it's a girl, she can live. If it's a boy, throw him in the Nile. And so let me tell you, if you're a mom in here and you have a little boy and somebody comes to your door and says, hey, you got to take your baby boy, are you going to fight with them? Are you going to say, oh, here he is. Well, fight. You ever heard of the mama bear mentality? Some calls are going to come out. You're going to see some guns and some faces and some clubs on some heads, right? Am I right? Listen, listen, this was not something. We, sometimes you read scripture, you don't get that kind of detail. You're just kind of reading through it. There it goes. But you got to think about what's actually happening here. They're taking little baby boys and throwing them out. Okay, so she saw he was a fine child, so she, so she hit him. Okay, we're, we're good? But when the child, but when she could not hide him for any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And this is crazy, okay? This is another thing we got to think about. I love the Bible. This isn't the Ogeechee River. This is the Nile River, okay? The Nile River, I did some studying on this. The Nile River, any given time, has 6.2 billion pounds of water flowing through it. Like in, in one little area of it. I can't, I can't remember how much area it was. There's one little tiny little area, 6.2 billion pounds of water. This was a mighty river. 
And you've seen National Geographic, Discovery Channel, Shark, or not, Crocodile Week, maybe, I don't know, whatever. But you've seen crocodile, you've seen all these wild animals, it's crazy. Like, who's going to put their baby in there? Um, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverside. She, was, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, you think? And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And so we see the apple fell very far from the tree, okay? Pharaoh, kill all the Hebrew babies. Pharaoh's daughter, bring that baby to me. Let me take care of it, right? We're good? All right, I'll stop talking. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get the Hebrew, get one of the Hebrew, pay attention, one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she said. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. This girl didn't know who the baby's mother was. God's sovereignty brought that baby's mama to her. That's pretty awesome. Think about that for a second. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he, began, he became her son. She named him Moses, and saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one of the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who, who made you ruler and judge over us? Remember that statement. That's going to be huge. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I, must, what I did must have been made known. Turn to chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses here too. Chapter 3, 1 through 15. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is also Mount Sinai. This is the mountain of God where, God, where he also would later on would see the Ten Commandments. Then, okay, this is big too. This right here, the angel of the Lord. Not a angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. That is a very specific angel, right? Anybody good with English? Like, I'm not usually. The angel of the Lord is very specific. In all the other translations, anytime you see in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is a person of God. Basically, Jesus appeared to Moses, which is pretty cool. Go study it, I promise. So basically, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see if this strange sight, that's what I would do, why the bush does not burn up. This is crazy, man. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people and Israelites out of Egypt. So... 
this is, yeah. Think about the, the insecurity, the, the, he killed a man. He can't go back there. Think about his rejection from the palace. Think about all, he, he has no idea who he is. He has identity issues. I'm not going back there. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Go, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name of the name you call shall call me from generation to generation. And then we can go on for the, for the next chapter, and we can see three other areas where he says, um, I can't talk good. Um, I'm not smart enough. I can't, I, I can't please send someone else. So he says five things. He says five things, that reasons why he can't go do what God's calling him to do. Excuses after excuses after excuses. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we all have a little bit of Moses in us, right? We're a little insecure. We're a little bit, uh, I don't know if I want to do this for you, God, because it's kind of scary. If I do this, I could lose everything that I have. We're all there a little bit, correct? Fear, all that. I am. Okay, we'll just talk about me today. That's me. Um, he was abandoned at birth. Um, he, was, he was very insecure, condemned. He was full of doubts, full of fear, identity issues out the ears. So listen, Moses, at the time that God called Moses, at that time, he was a wreck. He was, he was messed up. He was jacked up. He, he, was, he was screwed up, all those. And so God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses is sitting here tending his flocks out in the wilderness like, you sure you got the right Moses? Because I don't sound like something that you would want me to do. Because I'm not that great of a person. I, I'm just, I'm nothing. I can't hardly talk. But if you look, guys, at other places in the scripture, we see Moses remembered as one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. We see all throughout scripture him being labeled a faithful servant of God, um, the, the servant of the Lord, uh, most faithful in all of God's house, someone who spoke with God as a person, speaks to a friend. But this doesn't tell the whole story of, what, of Moses, how, how Moses got to that place, how Moses got to be remembered by someone who was a great follower of God. Listen, I said a minute ago, he was abandoned at birth. That's like hashtag identity issues from the start. You know what I mean? Like he has some, he had, who am I? Like I don't know who, I don't know my dad, I don't know my mom, I don't know, who am I? I'm a, I'm a Hebrew living in a, in a palace. All the other Hebrews in this nation are working. What's, what, who am I? Identity problems. Moses lives in Egypt for 40 years as a prince, as a prince. That's a, that's a spoiled rotten hashtag on that one. They spoiled, he's spoiled. He kills a guy. Moses lives in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd. But what's sovereign about that is the route Moses had to take from Egypt to Midian is the same route that God would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. So you see, God prepared Moses in the palace to lead and govern people. God prepared Moses in the wilderness to know the paths and the ways around mountains and rivers and valleys, where to go to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Isn't that cool? But while he was going through it, man, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. I can imagine. You know, after 80 years of just pure 
hell in his life, God appears to Moses and is like, what's up, man? You know, his whole life, 80, I mean, 80 years old, God, now you show up. I've gone through this and I've gone through this. Now you show up. You know, all this stuff and so frustrating, I'm sure it would be for me. But one thing I do know, man, is that, is that God, he rarely shows us the reason why we go through the things we go through in life while we're going through them. Y'all, y'all, can y'all relate to that? I, I can't, I, in my life, that's what I've seen. Like, why was this done to me? God, why did you allow this to happen? Or why did this happen or this happen? Or why, why did you allow me to trip here? Why, what? And so the promise I know is God has a plan. God has a purpose for every life situation or circumstance that you've ever gone through. Period. I don't care how bad it was, how good it was. I don't care how confusing it was. God had a plan for every life circumstance that you've ever walked through. If we're frustrated and angry at God, there may very well be people here that are angry at God this morning. God, what? I don't, I don't, I don't believe in you because you did this. I, don't, I, don't, I can't believe in a God that would allow suffering in the world. Good thing my belief in God doesn't determine his, re- determine his reality. If we're angry at God and we haven't seen the results that we want to see from the trials that we've gone through that we expected to see from those trials, more than likely, it's not God that's moved away or distanced himself. It's us. It's us. And so tonight or this morning, guys, I need, to hear, I need y'all to hear this, is that a broken past doesn't mean that you have to have a broken future. Can we, we track in with that? Just because you've gone through some stuff doesn't mean your future has to be broken. If you live from a perspective that God's in control and he has the, your, the plans of your heart, or the plans of his heart being played out in your life, that brings us confidence. Because I serve a God, and I hope you serve a God who makes things new. He restores. He reconciles. He brings us back to himself. I serve a God who created something out of nothing. The things that you're, the, 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 the ball of dirt that you're riding on right now was made from nothing. That's huge. I, I, I serve a God who, who spoke planets into existence and placed, and placed a sun in the middle and, so that they could go around it. Hey, listen, he is powerful. He can do anything. If he can do those things, surely he can bring my life back from the pit. Right? So listen, Romans 8, 28, one of the most widely memorized verses in all of Scripture says, first three words, when it comes on the screen, says, and we, we know. When you know something, nobody can tell you that what you know is incorrect because you know it's a fact, right? You know that you're sitting in a black chair. Unless you're colorblind, I'm not sure how that works. But the, the chairs are black. You, I cannot tell you that chair is white. That's not a matter of opinion. That chair is black. God, God, we know, we know something. And all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We know. We know that God, he, he works all things. So what does that mean? It means we need to trust him, that he's working. We need to trust God that he's working. He's always at work is what the gospels say. But the question is, are we working? Are we working our ways? Are we working our lives in, in congruency with him? Are we, are we in step with him? Are we taking steps of obedience towards God? Are we taking steps of obedience in God's direction? But if we're not, then what does that say? What does that mean? It takes us back to the beginning is, are we just coasting? 
That's questions we need to ask ourselves because, you know, as followers of Christ, we have to understand that, you know, we, we're supposed to be obedient followers of him who are saying yes and then saying, what do you want, Lord? What, what can I do? In connection, we always say, it's okay not to be okay. Who's glad that that's one of our slogans? I am glad that's the slogan because I wouldn't be preaching if that was the case. It's okay to be broken, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay in your brokenness. Let God pull that out of you because, listen, get up, move, watch God change your life. Just take a step, and I promise you, take a step in his direction, and you'll see everything change. Everywhere, everywhere in Scripture that God moves, anywhere from Genesis to Revelation that God is moving, there's a common trend and a formula that always occurs. And anytime that happens, you need to kind of put a pin on that and say, if this always happens in the Bible, then it must be happening still today, right? Has to. This is the equation. Faith-based obedience, faith-based obedience always equals a revelation of God's power in your life. Faith-based obedience always equals revelation of God's power in your life. As we step out in obedience, God's power is revealed through on any level of circumstances, when God's power is revealed, our insecurities have to run because we're trusting in him. We're looking to him, not to ourselves. Because the reason we're insecure is we're looking at an insecure person to carry out eternal things that can't be carried out from a place of, ten, of, 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 of my current circumstances. So moving out of this, I want, to, I want us to look at Moses' life. I want us to look at his life, and I want you to, I want you to see how Similar we are as people. Anytime we look at the Bible, it's really easy for us to put our place in some of the heroes' lives of the Bible and say, I'm like David, I'm like Moses, I'm like Elijah. That's not correct. Okay, um, if we're going to put our place in the in Bible, um, David represents Jesus. Moses represents Jesus. Our representation is the scared little Israelites who want to go back to Egypt and go back into slavery. That's what, that's what we're like. Because the Bible is all about God and his glory. You know what I mean? It's about his glory, and it's about us following him. That's what it's about. So as we're going here, but I want to kind of bring in some characteristics of Moses' life of this story, and we can kind of walk through and look at it together. Um, and there's some promises in this. And one thing, the first thing I noticed in Moses' life and in my life is a fact, is God does not waste time, and he doesn't waste pain. God's, God does not waste time or pain. If there's, been, if there's been a long distance of your life where you feel like God hasn't spoken, he's not wasting that. If you've experienced a lot of pain in your life, God does not waste an ounce of pain in your life. He's leading you, moving you. Let me tell you something. 80 years old is never the ideal age to start fulfilling your purpose. Correct? I don't want to start my career at 80 years old. You know, 20 years, I should be 20 years into retirement by this point, God. You know what I mean? Right? Right? We're good with that? 80 years would be like, I'm depressed, God. Why are you, why must, why are you just showing me now? Why are you showing them now? Listen, I don't care what's been done in your life or my life. I don't care what's, what, what, what you've done in your life or who you've done it with. I don't care what I've done or what I, who I've done it with. I don't care how much time you've wasted on worldly things. There's nothing in your life in the past, in the present that you're currently doing, or in the future that you will do, that God can't or won't redeem. He can redeem it. There's nothing you've done, nothing that's been done, that he cannot bring back and use it for his purposes. 
He wants to. That's what, he, that's what he's glorified in. We can look at the life of Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, he was, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. But one of his brothers said, let's don't kill him. That's a, little, that's a little extreme, bro. Let's put him in a pit and sell him. You know, let's, and so they sold him off. Listen, years go by. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's tempted, all this stuff. And he's raised up to be the second man, in, in, basically the number one guy in, in Egypt under Pharaoh. And then his brothers and his dad come. They don't recognize him because he's changed, obviously, over the years. But he's gone through all this stuff, and he was able to deliver his brothers who tried to kill him out of a, out of a massive famine and, and save them from death. And you look in Genesis 50, verses 19 to 20. This is what he says. Whenever his brothers finally reveal who he is, they're like, oh, crap, this is Joseph. Might need to leave. He was saying this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke highly to them. What? This, these people try to kill you, man. Like, this is God's using something good for the betterment of his people. Moses' life was an emotional roller coaster. I can relate. Identity crises, dark sin, deep insecurity, and it was a lifelong cycle until the burning bush, until God showed up. He said, Moses, Moses. In time, Moses came to see the things he thought meant to hurt him were actually God's sovereign preparation of him for God's purposes. All those things that he thought were, man, this sucks. Man, this is terrible. I hate this. This is, ter- this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. I, this is a hot. I, I'm, I'm staying in my father's tent till I'm 80. This is awkward. You know, I'm, I'm so insecure. I don't, who am I? He, don't know, he didn't know what was going on. God's sovereign plan and purposes where he was being prepared for. But what's most interesting is that God, in trying to give Moses confidence in Exodus 3, doesn't point out any of that even though it was true. He doesn't say to Moses, whenever, whenever he said, I can't, I can't talk, God. I, I can't do your, what you've called me to. I, can't, I, don't have, I have no confidence. He doesn't say, Moses, wake up. I've been preparing you. You have what it takes. He doesn't say that. Open your eyes. I've been doing all this. I've been preparing you for all this stuff. This is your moment. Wake up. Do this. It's not what he says. He simply says, Moses, I'm with you. That's enough. God is with him. That's enough. And if it's not enough, it means our vision of God is too small. And if our vision of God is too small, that explains a lot of problems in our life, doesn't it? If my problems are bigger than God, then I'm not going to go to God for anything. So God is, he has to be, he has to be seen for who he truly is. He says, I'm with you. Walk in confidence, knowing that what I've called you to, I will supply you for. And that's what he's saying to us this morning. What God calls us to, he's going to supply us for it. Y'all believe it? If you looked at your life with the eyes of faith, everything that you're going through, everything that you have gone through, believing that in everything, the good, the bad, the exciting, the disappointing, the, the tragedies, the triumphs, all the stuff, a sovereign, loving God was behind it, preparing you for the purposes of God. When you look at it with the faith, eyes of faith, and at the time, the God, the same God, is now calling you forward, trusting that the one who faithfully prepared you will faithfully see you through. That's what we have to believe as Christians, that whatever he's called us to, he's going to prepare us for. Whatever we lack, he's the supply. Okay? Listen, you, that's where confidence comes from. 
You know where confidence comes from? It's seeing God for who he truly is and seeing my sin for what it truly is. Because in my sin, I'm nothing. In my life, I'm nothing. With Christ, I'm everything. With Christ, he, he puts me on the path and we go together. The people got, listen, the people closest to me will tell you one thing is that I'm a messed up individual. They'll tell you that first. They'll tell you, he, he's insecure. He's this, he'll, they'll tell you some of the deep things in my life. They also know that they're pretty messed up too. You know, and so there's one common conversation that I always have with people in my life who are going through stuff or who have come out on the other side of their life and said, man, God has shown me so much. I've gone through drug addiction. I've gone through affairs or divorce or adultery. Or I've gone through all this stuff, so whatever it may be. One thing they've always said is I wouldn't change a thing. I'm like, you're crazy. You wouldn't change a thing because it's worth it whenever God prepares us to do the things he's called us to do, no matter how bad the circumstances may be. Because what he's calling us to is greater than anything that we can do. And I'm here to tell you right now, guys, this morning, from experience, he's got, he has got a plan. We just have to trust it. We have to trust it. You have to trust Christ. The second thing I look at in Moses' life is, is, is really good news, is that God's promises are never limited by our insecurities. Awesome news. Is anybody here insecure today? I am. We all are. We all have things in our life that are we're insecure, man. Like, I don't, I'm not pretty enough, or in my case, good looking enough. Um, I'm not like I'm not smart enough. I don't know. I don't, I'm not I'm not athletic enough. I'm not successful enough. I don't have enough money saved up. I don't have the right job. I don't have I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. I'm a terrible dad. I'm a terrible mom. Those voices, have we heard those voices before in our heads and our minds ever? Yes, we all have. Because we're humans. Insecurity is that voice inside your head that says, I am not blank enough. Right? I'm not blank enough. What's, what's yours? You don't got to tell me. Think about it like rhetorically. What, what is yours? What, what is that thing in your mind? I'm not blank enough. What most often goes into that blank? What, what happens? We saw earlier as we were reading Exodus 3, Moses is a very insecure man because of the things that happened to him. Moses had started out his life with a, a lot of confidence. He was a good-looking dude, had a high-paying job. He was Pharaoh's adopted son. So far, life's pretty awesome. Egypt is the most powerful superpower in the world at the time. Like, I'm rich. I'm good-looking. I got life going for me, <laughs> right? That, that's a good life so far, correct? We all want that life. Little, yeah, we do. Okay, so we got that going. But then he felt like God kind of wanted him to, to do something, to deliver Israel. So he started having this, like, this thing going on in his heart. I, I, God's kind of leading me to do something. I'm not good. I don't know. But when he, when he tried to do it, when he tried to, why are you beating this, this Israelite, this Hebrew? You know, then he kills the guy. You know, things went bad. He gets, he gets ahead of God. The Jewish people mock him, saying, who are you that's going to be our ruler and our judge? Who are you? They mock him and judge him. Pharaoh disowns him and tries to kill him. The guy that, tried, that raised him tries to kill him. And said, listen, guys, I'm not sure about you, but that's a pretty bad day at work, right? Everyone hates you. Your boss fires you, and you kill a guy on the way out to the parking lot. That's a pretty bad day at work. Can we agree with that? That's a bad day. It's time to move on to the next job, maybe the next country. Um, he flees into the desert where he ends up marrying a no-bad girl, spends the next 40 years there, and lives in, a, in his father-in-law's tent with his wife and two sons until he's 80 years old, just to top off the insecurity glass a little bit more. An 80-year-old living with his father-in-law. That's awkward. 
correct? That takes the, you know, yeah, that's bad. Then God shows up. Then God shows up and, and the burning bush is there and tells Moses, you know, I want to use you. What does Moses do? He echoes what people said about him when he left Egypt. Who am I? Right? You, you see that? <clears throat> the, Israel, the Israelites were, who are you to be our judge? He heard that for so long in his heart. He had been, he had been playing that over and over again in his head. The sin that he committed, I killed a guy. Who am I? They rejected me. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? God calls him. The God of the universe shows up in a burning bush. You don't ask the God of the universe in a burning bush, well, who am I? You say, okay, I'm going with that guy in the burning bush because that's pretty awesome. That's, that's power. Pharaoh had nothing on that. So what I'm saying, guys, he echoes that. Who am I? I'm a murderer. I'm an abandoned son. I'm a nobody. This shows that the Israelites' doubt of Moses and the fear of his exposed sin had seeped deep into his heart, into his soul, to where he believed it. He believed it about himself. I'm nobody. I can't do this because nobody has faith in me. I can't lead your people. That's a big task. I can't make a disciple, God, because I don't know enough. I can't lead a connect group, God, because I'm not, I don't speak well enough. You get where I'm going with this? Listen. Maybe this has happened to us, some of us. Someone criticized you for so long, you started believing it about yourself. A dad. Maybe it was a, an ex-spouse or a, a, an abusive boss. They threw shade at you for so long that you started believing it. Moses believed it so much that he gave God five excuses to why he, had to, he couldn't carry out the plans that God had for him. One of those was this, and I think y'all are going to be surprised by this because I was amazed. Exodus 4.10 says this. This is one of, the, one, of the, one of the things he threw out at God. It says, Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow in speech and tongue. What is one thing that you've always said Moses couldn't do? Talk well. Talk good if you're from the South. Couldn't talk good, right? What if I told you that everything you believed about Moses is about to come crashing down? That was a lie. Look at Acts 7, 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was what? Powerful in speech and in action. I'm going to let y'all get up through y'all's crisis for a minute because that messes up all the Bible school you ever went through. Listen, he was powerful in speech and in action. Why? Because he had gone through the education system of the most powerful country in the world. He was taught by the, the most greatest scholars in all of Egypt. He was raised up with kings and princes. But his insecurities came from rejection, from abandonment, from hurt. His heart started getting beat down and destroyed. But look how God responds to Moses. God deals with Moses' insecurities. Listen, he lived with his sin and shame for so long, his condemnation, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. You've screwed up, you've done this, this, this. That, shame, that thing that Satan wants to tell you over and over and over and over and over, and over again, it wants to beat you down. That's the, that's the verse that says he wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy your influence in this world. One of his greatest weapons is condemnation. He believed it. Is this us? This is how God responds. Not in the way that we usually do. Like if somebody came to me, I'd be like, you know, you're a good guy, man. You're good. Don't listen to them. That's not what he says. 
He didn't say go to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you say, repeat after me. I am Moses. I'm a good man. I can do it. You know, that's not what he says. God comes to him in the moment, in that moment, in the moment of his greatest insecurity, God deals with Moses' insecurity by telling him to focus not on himself, but who God is. That's so simple that we don't like to do that. I want something a little more meaty, God. Like, I need to do something. You know, I want something that's going to make me feel good. In that moment, he shows him who he is. Confidence doesn't come from a clearer self-assessment. Confidence doesn't come from getting a better, who am I? Who am I? It doesn't come. It gets, it gets clearer by seeing a clearer view of who God is, getting a better picture of who God is. That's where our confidence comes from. Our insecurities are destroyed by a better understanding of who God is. Listen to that again. Our insecurities, everything you're dealing with, why you can't take your next step, why you can't do this and this or this or this, it, it comes and is destroyed by a better understanding of who God is. Listen, how do, we get, how do we get out of the darkness? We walk closer to the light. We turn the light on, right? It's the same way with God. The same way with God. Stop focusing on the insecurity. Stop focusing on the thing you can't do and start focusing on what God wants to do through you and what he says about you. Because what God says about you is that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, created to do good works in Christ. That's what he's called you to do. He's called us to be complete in him, not to be beat down. Stop focusing on insecurities and turn your eyes and turn your life towards Jesus. Nothing in your life, I promise you, Nothing in your life, past, present, or future, has ever made God say, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> God's never said that about your life. Never. Never. Through reading the scripture this week, what I've learned is that, um, I, I, and this, this is just my opinion, this is not fact, but I really believe that God's plan for Moses was to have him in the wilderness for 10 years, and he was there for 40 um, just reading through some of these verses because I see, some, I see some certain trends in his life. You can keep yourself in the wilderness longer than God wants to keep you there by being disobedient, by walking your own way, by choosing not to see God for who he is. Pride can keep you there. All these things. And so it's important, guys, that we surrender because he has a plan. We have to trust him. Trust him. The last thing, guys, and we're done is God works through your brokenness. God works through our brokenness. God works through us, through our brokenness, despite our brokenness. God prefers instruments that are broken, I think, who feel insufficient, who have to lean on God. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, it says 126, it says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you we're wise by human standards. Paul is calling them dumb. <laughs> Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. You didn't, you didn't have money or, or influence with people. Not many of you were of noble birth. You were poor. You were in the, living in the slum. You, were, you, you had nothing about you that was desirable for this world. He chooses the weak and the despised so that the glory will go to him and not us. Because it's easy for me to do something for God and be like, man, I did something awesome for the Lord. Man, that was good. I saved this many people. No, God does that. We're just vessels for his use. Moses wasn't called or saved or sent for his own sake, but for God's glory. 
I would even actually go as far to say feeling inadequate is a prerequisite to being used by God. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, brokenness is essential for that. Nowhere in Scripture, this is good, nowhere in Scripture do we see um, you know, God using people that make sense, right? Look at like Jonah or Noah or Moses. Or, none of these people make sense. Like, God, you could pick out somebody better than that, had some more ambition or some more knowledge or something. Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, nowhere in Scripture— in Jesus' ministry, whenever he came and picked his disciples, who are the people that would have made most sense for Jesus to change the world in that day from a, from a person standpoint? It would have been the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were the most noble. They knew all the scripture. They knew all, they could teach people better. They, 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 the Pharisees would have been the most logical choice, but God has different eyes than we do. Look at Jesus' disciples. That was the most dysfunctional group of human beings that have ever been banded together to change the world in this entire world. They were crazy. They were a little weird. They were a little off. They, did, they were all broken individuals. The only disciple that made sense that Jesus picked to lead was Judas. Think about that. Judas was the only one that made sense. He was good with money. He was business-minded, and he had a lot of ambition. That makes, that makes sense for somebody who's going to lead, lead a, a revolution. But Jesus, Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus. God has different eyes. Moses says, but God, I'm not good enough. But God says, I know, but I am. God, I'm not skilled enough. I am. God, I'm not confident enough. I am. God says, Moses, I'm not the God of, I, I'm not the God of, I'm, I'm the God that's going to do things through you that you, you can never imagine. Listen, the name I am, it kind of confused me when he says, God, go tell them I am who I am. I, tell them I am. Tell them I am sent you. It always confused me until I studied it. God always used the name I am whenever Israel was in a time of great need and attached it to, to whatever they lacked. Whatever he, whatever he planned to supply them is what, what is, is himself. The name I am, and this amazed me is used in its various form 6,519 times just in the Old Testament. That's incredible. Think about that. He's our supply. And in Exodus, when the people of Israel were wounded and sick because of their sin, God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, which means I'm your healer. In Leviticus, when Moses laid out the law of how to walk up rightly with God, they were like, who could ever live this way? He was Jehovah Mekadishkim, which means I am your sanctifier. I am the God who enables you to walk with me. To Abraham, who faced an impossible circumstance with no seeming way out, God called himself Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. Jesus came, says, to those who hunger, I'm the bread of life. To those who thirst, I'm the living water. To those who are confused, I'm the truth. To those who are afraid, I'm life. Guys, all things you're not this morning, Jesus is. Every insecurity that you come against, Jesus fills you and empowers you. I don't know where you're at this morning. I'm not sure what you're going through. But I promise you, any cross you've ever bared, any cross you ever carried through brokenness or suffering in life, will always be inferior to the cross that Jesus died on. Always. He died for us so that he can be everything that we needed. 
So this morning, if, if you don't know who Jesus is, I just want to give you an opportunity to make that decision, man, because Jesus loves you. He's, he's came here for you. God is close to the broken heart. He's close to the people who are, who are broken. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and low in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. So I don't know where you're at. I'm not sure if you've ever accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I'm not sure if you are following Jesus. I'm not sure if you've, you've claimed to be a Christian your entire life and never have, have lived one life in obedience to Christ. I'm not sure if you are, are being, or have been sitting here this whole time bored to death wishing this guy would shut up. I don't know where you're at. Boy, I know everything we're talking about this morning is truth. And it's important, so important, that we make a decision to follow Jesus. And in just a second, I want to give, a, I'm going to give the, um, the prayer team an opportunity to pray with you. Um, they'll be here on the sides, and if, if you want prayer, they'll pray with you. Um, talk to them about, like, if you, if you need to accept Christ, talk to them about that. If you've never entered it into a, into a, a life um, that, that, is, that is described as obedient to the Lord, talk to them about that. Because one thing I know is you have no idea how frail your life is. When someone you're close to you dies, you're, you remember life is so fragile. We have one decision to make, to follow Christ, not to follow Christ. He loves you so much that he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to say, you will follow me. No, he says, I've come so that you may have life, but you have a choice. You can reject him, which I wouldn't advise. You can, or you can accept him. I, I, I hate talking about this because it's awkward sometimes, but the Bible describes two types of people in hell. It says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first person weeping is, I knew I should have followed. I, I knew. I knew. God should have listened. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the other person is, how could you put me here? How could you do this to me, God? I hate you. I hate you. Over and so those are the two types of people that you're going to find in that place. This morning, let's, let's submit ourselves to him. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've kind of said, eh, yeah, I'm just kind of indifferent about it, whatever. Don't be that way. Following Christ is important. You have people that you're made to influence. Think about somebody at your work or somebody in your family that, that God has put you on this earth to reach. That maybe your only person, maybe the only person that, that, that they know, they, they, they can receive Christ from. You, you may have a, a sole person that you're supposed to share Christ with somebody. It's important. Is that important? So this morning, come lay it down. I'm going to open up this altar as long as you need it, but um, let's just pray together. And if, 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 if you want to come, if you want to release that, Come do that. Because one thing I know, there's, not, there's, there's one regret that's going to kind of make you numb is when you leave here, I know I should have done that. I know I should have done that. I know I should have prayed. I know I should have asked Jesus into my life. I know, and that little by little, it becomes number and number where you're just kind of like, it's whatever. So if your heart is racing right now, I'm talking to you. God's speaking to you. That's what that heartbeat, that, that's what it is. Come lay it down. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, I just praise you for who you are. God, you're a God of, 
of second chances. You're a God of, of renewed relationships. God, you're a God that, that loves us. And I thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I pray that you would just come and, and speak to our hearts. God, show us who you are. Give us newness of life, God, and just uh, bring us back here next week to, to hear your word. Father, we love you. and it's your name.